0: Let us pray. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for the extraordinary love that you have lavished upon us. We thank you for the many ways that that love is manifested to us, given to us uh, by your grace, given to us in your word, given to us in the family uh, that we have uh, here at Church of Our Savior, given to us in this beautiful day, in this beautiful setting. We, um, we just thank you for the many, many ways that we... Uh, that, that you love us and that we receive that love. So, now, Lord, as we turn to the love chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we ask that you would um, teach us uh, again and again so that it bores deeper and deeper into our hearts and souls uh, just how much uh, you really love us and just how you really love us. And we ask this through Christ our Lord, who is the expression of your love. Amen. Amen. So, in case you weren't listening to the prayer, um, we are uh, talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today. Uh, next week, we'll uh, the next three weeks, we're going to look at Peter, James, and John. So next week's 1 Peter, and the book of James, and the letters of John, Peter, James, and John. So this is our last week with St. Paul. We spent uh, several weeks with him. We're in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 today. Um, also, we might get to 2 Corinthians 4-6. through this is chapter 91 and 92 in the Essential 100. So that means after today, we have, what, seven chapters left? Uh, eight chapters left, so that's that's really good. Um, the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. You read this poetic, beautiful chapter on love. And what do you think? Weddings. Weddings. I <sighs> do. Yes, this beautiful poetry about weddings. Because it's really read at pretty much every wedding you've ever been to. There's a few rebellious folks who don't have uh, this at their wedding. But most people read this uh, at weddings. And let me tell you, it is so beautiful when it is read there. And it is taken completely out of context. (laughs) It's, this, is, this passage is really, really misunderstood. Now, I want to say it is not that it's not—it's not that you can't apply it to marriage, but it is not about marriage uh, in any in any sense. I don't know that Paul had any thought as about marriage when he was writing this, unless he thought you know one place you could apply it would be in the family, uh, which he certainly might have. Um, but we kind of think we read it. We we see just have it at weddings, and we kind of think you know, St. Paul must have been reading Jane Austen at the time, right? Just reading a little Pride and Prejudice, and um, uh, but he is uh, he's so this letter he's writing to the church, but he's not just any church, right? It's the Corinthian church, and um, they had uh, great leather seats in, in the church, and they um, but you know Corinth was a lot a lot like. Um, New York City it was a lot like New York City uh, it was, um, it was a, a, a huge city for its time built uh, exclusively for economic reasons it was built on uh, this isthmus, isthmus Merry Christmas on the isthmus <laughs> um, and uh, it was built on an isthmus so like a, a thin narrow strip of land between two bodies of water um, and so there was like a four mile canal running right through town and no one was from there in fact, they had built the city from scratch, uh, principally for these economic uh, reasons. People there, they came there to make money. They were smart, they were talented, they were driven to excel. And it was, consequently, a very happening and very morally fuzzy place. And, uh, and so, like I said, it was, a, it was a lot like New York City. Uh, and, and so people came from all over, and it was, uh, you can imagine, they brought with them the religious influence that they had, all sorts of different religious influence, from uh, North Africa, from Rome, from, uh, from the hinterlands of, of uh, what we now call Germany, all over the place they came uh, here to, to make money. Lots of religious influence, but most were there to get away from that. You know, like a lot of people moved to New York City to get away uh, from their upbringing. And so but what happens is Paul shows up, and he preaches the gospel, and it's this, this gospel of incredible freedom and grace. They've never heard anything like it, and it takes, uh, like, wildfire in many, across many, um, uh, through many people, many sectors of that town. Uh, like anything, I mean, there's, you know, there, there's, um, any town you've ever lived in, there's segments of, of real, strong religious gospel influence in the midst of crazy, right? So, and it was like that too. So it wasn't the whole city or anything that had, had caught on, but it, but there were some very sincere Christians. But as you know, as you know, when someone becomes a Christian, they don't cease to be who they are. In fact, we don't necessarily even want them to cease to be who they are. So they were still very smart, very talented, very driven to excel, still morally fuzzy. And so a lot of the Corinthian correspondence is Paul sort of addressing each of these issues and talking about where the gospel uh, fits in and how the gospel should influence their life together, their life as the church. And what we have, where we catch chapter 13, is in the middle of a lengthy section on uh, the life of the church. This is the section where we get Paul primarily talking about the church as the body of Christ. Uh, the body of Christ. And so we have, these, we have some really well-known but really important passages. Chapter 10, he's <coughs> warning the Corinthian church about idolatry coming from their pagan backgrounds. Chapter 11, he's talking specifically about the Lord's Supper. Much of our own litur- liturgy around the Lord's Supper is taken from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, they weren't, what was happening is they weren't waiting for others. They were just... They were just taking it themselves, and usually drinking the wine and not leaving enough for everybody else. And and it was an early, it was it was early Lord's Supper, so it's still sort of a um, like a fellowship meal kind of thing. But it was uh, they were not thinking of others. It was communion maybe vertically, but not horizontally. They were not thinking of their communion with one another. Uh, that's chapter eleven. Chapter twelve, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And one, the fact that we are one body with many members, God has intentionally put many, uh, many gifts. <laughs> Each of us has different gifts so that we can all uh, bless the body uh, of Christ. Chapter 14 is talking about the order that we have in worship, that we are to have orderly worship. So it doesn't make any sense that he just takes a break uh, in chapter 13 and talks about love, about marriage. Except that he's he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about how we as Christians are to love one another. And so um, he's talking about the church in chapter 13. Now, we can take what he teaches about the church and apply that to marriage. No problem. No problem at all. But he's not just waxing poetic. In fact, the Corinthians, when they read this, would not have gone. Ah, they would have gone, "Oh heck!" You know, at least. So, um, except for the morally fuzzy ones, they would have said something else. So, um, so he's talking about how Christians are, especially especially smart, driven uh, Christians, are how they are to approach their own giftedness. And that is a really important thing. The answer, how are they to approach their own giftedness? With love. With ag- agape. Agape, love for God, and love for neighbor. Um, let, me, let me go back a little bit. If you have your Bibles with you, you can, we can look at chapter 12. And I want to read to you, because it's going to give some light to what we have, uh, what we hear in chapter 13. It's going to give you a little context. Starting with verse 4. Paul says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. really go into a lot of depth and teaching on on those individual spiritual gifts. Maybe we'll do that sometime. Maybe we'll just have that be our series talking about spiritual gifts. But he finishes, then he goes into talking about how one body with many members, and and of course what he's saying is um, that we all are given gifts. Each of you has been given a gift. God has not given one person all the gifts and let everybody else just sort of come along and watch Every, everybody's given gifts all to build up the body of Christ. but he does say verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. In other words, what he's encouraging them is to take that drivenness that that drive to excel and and pursue all that God has for them. But what do you, what would what do you think smart driven successful people, are going to do with their gifts. They're going to identify themselves with them. I am my gifts. And they're going to look to the right and to the left and say, my gifts are better, or, oh gosh, my gifts are not as good. That's, what, that's kind of what we do, right? Um, and so, well, and if, it's, if you don't think that's right, talk to me after class. But it, it really is what we do. I mean, I, it, we, we are constantly looking to the right and the left. And so, it is in that context where Paul says, seek the higher gifts. Everybody has their own gifts. And he's outlined what those gifts may be. I don't think it's a comprehensive list. But here he says, now let me tell you though, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If, If I have prophetic powers... And understand all the mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. You see how, you see how this in context makes a lot more sense about the church. It's not just a, a sweet piece of poetry, uh, it, is, you know, it is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful uh, reflection on love. But what he's telling these people is that if you have these incredible gifts, but you do it without love, then you can just hang it up and forgive it. Think about your own life. Each, I mean, there's, I'm looking around the room. There's some really gifted people uh, here. I mean, you know, some not so much, but, but really some... Um, but, <laughs> I'm sorry, I have low-hanging fruit right there. Low-hanging fruit. There's some really gifted people. And, and, um, and if you are proud of your gifts in, in such a way that you can weaponize the good thing that you've been given, I mean, that can happen. You, that happens in the church happened this morning in the gospel. Happened this morning. No, no, that's interesting. So say what you mean by that. It happened this morning in the gospel. You're not talking about the person who's reading the gospel in the service that you were attending. I... No, he did a pretty good job. He did a good job. Okay, but, good. Um, the, the judge, he had the ability to use love and compassion to pass judgment and create justice, but he only did it out of his own selfish need. That's right. So, so uh, Mary says that the judge in the gospel passage today... Uh, and that's she went at 8 o'clock, so if you hadn't, then you'll hear. But he had the ability to uh, judge out of love and compassion. He had, he had the authority to do that, but he was only using it for self-interest. So, that's good. That's good. I like that. But that's you can see the context that he is uh, putting this in. It, it is uh, All the gifts that he has here were mentioned earlier. So, if he's saying, uh, he, he's not being poetic, he's being very practical. I've just told you about all these incredible gifts and I want you to pursue the higher gifts, but I want you to know that if you do that and you're just doing it for your own glory, you're not doing it uh, you're, where the, the ends justify the means and you're not doing it out of a heart of love for the people you're serving or for the God that you're serving, <coughs> then you can forget it. It is, um, And I think that really speaks to us in our own present situation. Um, if I am... Uh, leading a Bible study, and I get continually um, discouraged because people aren't you know, telling other people, you know, they're coming, but they're not telling other people about it or whatever. Uh, and I think they ought to because I'm such a great Bible teacher. Maybe I need to do some um, some heart work on that. Maybe if I think, you know, the breakfast I do is really good and it's, whoo, it's better than those other weeks. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, I mean, French toast is awesome. But I, I, um, I just, you know, I think we can take the gifts that we have, and rather than looking up with a heart of gratitude, we look to the left and the right, either with envy or with judgment. And that is what St. Paul is warning against. Now, can we apply that to marriage? Of course. Can we apply it to other relationships that we have? Absolutely. But the whole thing is that... they. Paul is saying that if you do that without... the things that you are given to do, but you do it without the character of Christ in you, then you're just serving yourself. And it's no better than it was before. Uh, I think that is a very uh, appropriate and um, important word for us. Reflections, comments, thoughts? You want me to move on? <laughs> Quit talking about me. All right. Um, you know, I mean, this is you know today's uh, uh, the sermon is sort of, sort of on stewardship, and um, next week is the stewardship in gathering. It's important. Let us hear this again. If I give away all that I have, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, it's all about it's all about the glory of God. Uh, we are to reflect the character of God. And all the things that he then uh, talks about, the things that we really want, th- these are really the reasons we want uh, this in our, this passage in our weddings. Because we want to hear that love is patient, and love is kind, and love does not envy, and does not boast. We want to hear all these things. But these are all the things that the Corinthians were not. They were not patient. They were not being kind. They were... Uh, you know, think about the Lord's Supper. They were they were taking it uh, greedily, and not thinking about not leaving enough for everyone else. They were not uh, being kind. They were not um, uh, they they were envying the other gifts. They were boasting about their giftedness. They were uh, being arrogant and rude. And so they would not have heard of this and thought this is so dreamy. They would have thought he is really busting our chops. You know, interesting thing that I learned about this passage recently. The way that you know the way that English works and the way that Greek works are are different a lot of times, and this is no exception. And what we have here is largely, uh, at least till we get to verse seven, uh, largely a list of adjectives. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love uh, is not boastful. Is not envious. Is not arrogant. So that's just the way. That is the way that. Uh, English works, but actually each of these in the Greek are verbs, which is why the King James says, love suffer- suffereth long, long-suffering. Each of these, there is a Greek verb to, uh, to be long-suffering, to be patient, to, to be arrogant, to, to boast, and the way that we, it works itself out in English is um, descriptively. But, but actually what he's doing is he's kind of personifying love. Love uh, suffereth long. Uh, love envieth not. So the King James actually, even though we don't talk like that, actually gets a little closer to the original. Uh, because love is, in a very real sense, personified here. And I think that is because before he's telling us the way we are to be, he's actually pointing to a person. He's pointing to Jesus. This is the way that Jesus is. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not envying or boastful. You know, Jesus never says, y'all can't walk on water. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't multiply loaves and fishes. You know, he, you know, he just humbly does what he's doing and offers it to the people. It would have, that would be crazy if Jesus said, just offer you, know, mm, do that, Peter. Uh, but that's funny. All right. Um, he's not irritable or resentful. I mean, it's all these things are he's describing the character of Christ, who is the personification of the love of God. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at the Son. This is what he is like. And he is like these things. He is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. Mm, Well, he kind of does, except that he's not going to. He is very patient and kind. Uh, He doesn't keep a record of wrongs because of his grace. So, uh, this is a description, first and foremost, about the love of God. And it is to be worked out in the life of the church, particularly. And so, in order to be worked out in the lives of the church particularly, it has to be worked out in all of our lives individually, right? So, how are you doing with it? How do you become more patient and kind? Let me know. Let me know, yeah, right. <laughs> Let me know how that works out. Tell, so somebody knows, tell Joyce. Uh, James. Um, I can't. Basically, uh, all you can do is allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, because all those things that Paul describes as what love is, you know, in the, in the other epistle, he describes that and, so, and a lot of other things in noun form as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So all you can really do, I think, is submit to allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you in order to accomplish those things and to make you more than like Christ. Yes. If you couldn't hear James, he said um, that we really can't make ourselves more patient, but we can submit to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to work in us and through us. And I think you're absolutely right about that. I've made it a personal discipline of mine not to ever pray for patience. (laughs) Because the Lord just doesn't zap you and all of a sudden you're patient. He puts you in a situation where now you've got to exercise patience. right? So if you are at the end of your rope with your... uh, crazy adult child or whatever it is and you say Lord give me patience like I'm that's what I'm doing right <laughs> you know that's what I'm doing you're in a situation where God is uh, allowing the fruit of the spirit to work uh, in you so that's why I say I don't want to pray for patience although I probably ought to same thing with kindness arrogance rudeness God is God is going to give you situations where you can look to him and uh, reflect his character, and the, you know, it's, it's these difficult things where we're constantly submitting to the Holy Spirit working in us that that's where the rough edges get shaved off, get worn off in our life. Um, so, yes, it's, Dorsey. It's like the saying, let go and let God. Uh huh. We let go of what we hold on to it, or trying to do, and let God work through us, and we have some, <clears throat> more success. Yeah, and I think uh, I mean this. This often the prayer here is is, looks a lot more like Lord have mercy. Um, You know, it's prayer here is not you know kneeling by your maybe it is, but but it's not so much kneeling by your bedside and going through your long list of of prayer. Lord is uh, a prayer is Lord sort of a thought in the midst of the argument or whatever. Lord help me. Lord let me be patient. I mean, just sort of arrows, bullets to God. Uh, a Godward orientation which we all talk about a lot um, in the midst of difficult situations and, and it really is that fruit of the Spirit uh, working in us uh, fruit grows slow you know it, it's, um, it's sweet but it's actually not for us it's for other, it's, you know the fruit that grows on a tree is, is to be picked and enjoyed by someone else not for the tree so, um, it's the Spirit working in us, growing that which is uh, well-pleasing in His sight. So, thank you. That's, that's a really good insight there, uh, Dorsey. Um, so, the Corinthians weren't all these things, and he's encouraging them to be these things in a really it's a po- poetic, uh, wonderful way, but again, for the good, the edification of the church. And again, it's describing the character of Christ. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they're going to pass away. In other words... You may say something profound today, and it's going to be forgotten pretty soon, right? Much sooner than we would like to admit. Um, as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. Think about the profound knowledge in the church a hundred years ago. You can't think of it. We don't know. You don't have. You have no idea what was in the church a hundred years ago. The times have changed. It was important then. It's not important now. And the same thing a hundred years from now. Knowledge will pass uh, away. For we know in part. We prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when Jesus comes back, when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. You know what Paul is saying here? Grow up. Grow up in your faith. For now we see as in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, Paul talks about those three, a lot, faith, hope, and love, not always in that order, but always exalted, the greatest of these, uh, is love. Now, I, I, we didn't have it in our marriage, but this, we can see. I mean, I understand why people want this in their wedding. Um, it's always tempting to say uh, to the bride and the groom in front of all their family and friends, you know, this really isn't about you, uh, but <laughs> that's not what they want to hear in that moment. We actually do talk about it in premarital counseling. So any, I mean, any reflections on this? This may be a new way to think about it, um, about this. Because he goes right right from there, right right from faith, hope, and love, abide these three, the greatest of these is love. Chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. I mean, that's just... especially that you may have a word of truth to give to the church. That's, that's what he's saying. But you've got to have love. Yeah, Rick? So first part of 13, then isn't that more like the, the, the... It seems to me there's an element of doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, you can do all these great things, but if you're not doing them for the right reason, then it's, it's, it's wasted. Mm-hmm. So, the first part, doing the right things for the wrong reasons, sure. And it's really just the, you know, the motivation, isn't it? Well, I think a lot of that happens in the church, too. I mean, you know, there's a lot of doing the right things Mhm. Mhm. I I agree. I agree with that. Now, listen. I need volunteers. I'd rather you do them for the wrong reasons than not do them. I mean, you yeah, know. But um, but it's a matter of our own discipleship uh, to uh, to be sort of have that Godward orientation in our hearts. We really want to do it for God's glory and not our own. Susie, what were you going to say? Well, you know, you said, "What can you do to make it better?" It's hard to make anything better until you acknowledge it. So it requires introspection. Yes. If I waste that time on introspection when I already know that I'm flawed, how do I move forward from that? So I think what you're asking is how do, how do I move forward if I know I'm, I'm flawed, but I have to admit that I'm flawed in order to move forward? And it's kind of the, you you could be stuck right there, right? It's sort of a cash 22. I think you move forward in faith that God is working in you. And that, you know, I, all right, Lord, you know where I struggle with this, but I'm going to move forward in good faith. Please work in me. I mean, it's just, there's, there can be a lightheartedness about it. This isn't to make you feel like, you know, junk. It's just, it's just to, um, to orient us and remind us that we are um, to do what we do with love. So, um, love is the highest calling on our life. It's the height of what God has demanded of us. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And um, we, as the law, we can't do that. But by His cross, it has been declared over us that we, ha- that we are righteous. His Holy Spirit is working in us. And therefore, as humble recipients of grace, we can love God and love our neighbor. So we're just moving forward, I think. Yes, Katie. Well, I've found when you transform to where you don't just love Jesus intellectually, you don't acknowledge the Spirit intellectually, but actually submit in your heart and have them deep in your heart, that it's it's easier to do all of these things in love. And when you miss the mark, there's that pain that comes in you, and you know you missed the mark, and you can immediately say, Help me better control my tongue next time. Well, yeah, and I think that that pain that you're talking about I mean, that's we know that the Holy Spirit is working when we feel sorry for having missed the mark rather than defensive about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't have to beat ourselves up about it, and that's that's something else to work on, you know, but um, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, we, we with a Godward orientation, we're going to recognize where we fall short and ask for God's mercy. His property is always to have mercy. We're going to continually rest. Over and over again. Yes, absolutely it is. Absolutely it is. Doesn't Just because we were, we're flawed doesn't mean we don't try. Don't we? we do it for His glory, with His love, not for our own glory or for self-love. Alright. Well, I think we've knocked that one out of the park. Um, let's... Um, Let's go to 2 Corinthians. There's so much. I mean, this, uh, the E100 gives us chapter 4 and 5. Uh, there's so much in here. What I really want to focus on is the end, of, towards the end of chapter 5, what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation. Um, Paul says this is the height of what we're called to as Christians. Therefore, knowing this is verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Um, Paul is being modest there. He was not much to look at, he says elsewhere. He, was, um, uh, he is say he's not saying, it almost seems contradictory, doesn't it, to First Corinthians 13, love does not boast. But what he's saying is, I'm giving you the content of the message against some false teachers who have come in uh, and you boasting about what you've heard from us. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Uh, Some some translations say constrains us or compels us. Uh, We are um, put on the tracks of God's love by God Himself. And that is the direction we are moving. Wherever God's love, uh, the love for Christ takes us, that is where we're going. It controls us. It constrains us. Because we've concluded that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, what he goes on to say is that all this is from God. Oh No, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We love that verse, right? If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I can remember hearing that verse when I was in high school and loving it and hating it at the same time. I didn't want, I wanted to be a new creation because that's what Christians were supposed to be, Uh, but I didn't want to be a new new creation because I felt like it condemned who I was. Um, Which is to say, I, I was aware that I was losing myself. And at that point in my spiritual life, I didn't want to lose myself. That felt wrong to me not wrong, threatening. I knew it was right, actually. But it felt threatening. I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but it felt a little bit threatening to say, I'm no longer in charge of my life. But Christ isn't going to be in charge of my life. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. New has come. Now, of course, I mean, I see that as incredible grace. Incredible, wonderful, uh, gracious work in and through each of us. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, here's what he means by the ministry of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's the whole deal. He is blown away by the fact that God has given to Paul the privilege and the honor of declaring to the world that God has reconciled, himself to the world, and the world to himself. And then he says, one of my very favorite peak passages right there with um, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Like right there, 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It was for our sake. That He made Him who knew no sin, that was Jesus, to be sin for us on the cross. He became sin for us. So that you and I could become the righteousness of God. When I think of God's righteousness, I don't put my face next, next to that. But that's what this declares. That we have become actually the righteousness of God. We are His trophy case. We are what... God has uh, looks at and dec- to declare his own glory because we are new creations the old is gone the new has come you are a picture of the ministry of reconciliation because God through Christ has reconciled you to himself that's the whole deal and everything else flows from that fountain of grace that's pretty awesome at least it is to me. That's what I, I want to spend my whole life talking about that. You know, we can talk about how to not be, how, how to not be impatient, but I, I kind of think the more we talk about how, the fact that we are reconciled to God by His grace through Christ, that we'll find in the mirror that we've become more patient. So, we're almost done. What do you, uh, what, what do you think? Corinthians is tough. It, it doesn't have the, um, the sort of soft, um, warm feel that like a, like a uh, Colossians or Philippians has. It, he had a, t- a strained relationship with the Corinthian church because of their talent and because of the difficulty they had becoming new creations, which is why it's so glorious that he proclaims. That we are new creations. It's really not about what we are. It's really about what God has said over us. And if He has declared us to be reconciled, then we are. Even if we're not all the way there yet. Because we, right now, we see in part and we prophesy in part. But then we will see clearly. A lot to chew on. Thankfully, it's ten after ten. <laughs> <laughs> So, God bless you. Go to church if you hadn't already. And we will see you back here next week for 1 Peter.